There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Will you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are a few passages in Scripture that just really, they just sing. They just sing. I mean, I could be in the midst of anything in my life with my attention focused elsewhere, and words from the Bible will per- percolate up. They'll hum in my brain, and try as I might, I just can't get them out of my head. <clears throat> and over the last week, I've been thinking about a few words from the Bible, some of Jesus' final words before he mounted the hardware of the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. Because they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. Because they do not know what they are doing. I love those words because they're true. Because the more I look around, the more I realize that we need forgiveness because we have no idea what we're doing. So here's just a sampling of a few things that happened since last Sunday. Just in the last week. There's a United Methodist Church in California that set out its nativity display on their front lawn. They've been doing this for years and years and years. They're, you know, Mary and Joseph, the animals, all that sort of stuff. Except this year, they wanted to put a little twist on the manger scene. So instead of having Joseph and Mary looking tenderly down at the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes with the donkey braying and the camel to the side, there are three cages lined in barbed wire. And the first cage is Mary, and then sequestered and far away is Joseph, and then far off to the side is baby Jesus, all alone in their own cages, surrounded by barbed wire. So the church has publicly said, we set up our manger display this year differently because we want to call attention to our country's policy with family separation on our southern border. We want to do this because if you've read the Bible, after Jesus is born in Bethlehem, he has to flee with his family as refugees to Egypt so that he's not murdered by King Herod. Now, This is one church on the other side of the country, but because they wrapped up Mary, Jesus, and Joseph in barbed wire, it, of course, made the national news. And all the talking heads online, all the talking heads on cable news, they wanted to fight and bicker over whether or not this is a good thing for the church to do, whether it's improper to use baby Jesus as a political statement. And they fought and they fought and they fought and they fought and they fought. And all the while, while they're going back and forth, A little further south in California, a group of doctors went to the southern border. And carrying with them, they had hundreds of flu shots. They had read a report from the CDC saying that the influenza uh, is attacking people inside of these migrant tent cities that we have. And it's spreading so quickly that even if they're staying in their migration areas, they're interacting with border patrol agents. And they are then bringing flu to their families. And flu is just spreading wildly in California. So these doctors took it upon themselves to go to the border, bringing free flu vaccines. And they said, we would like to administer these for free to anyone who would receive it to help make sure our communities stay healthy as we get closer and closer to Christmas. And they were turned away. They're turned away because our policy is we cannot give flu vaccines to someone who is coming legally across the border. Now, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus in their cages with barbed wire, we've got these... Doctors wanted to bring flu vaccines. And while these things are happening, citizens from all over the state of Virginia gathered this week, pardon me, 
gathered this week to meet with their elected representatives because they're afraid that the Virginia state government is going to come and take their weapons. So they asked their elected representatives to make their counties Second Amendment sanctuaries, which means that by a vote, people from the Virginia state legislature can't make any determination about what would happen to someone's firearms in another place. Now, these are three stories, three stories that made the national news this week. And typically, they wouldn't really have to be brought up in church necessarily, except that in every one of these situations, the Holy Family in cages, flu vaccines on the border, fighting for gun rights, in every one of these situations, people on both sides said the same thing. People for the cages and against the cages, people for the vaccines and against the vaccines, people for gun rights and those who want to change gun rights, they all said that they did what they did this week because they believed it was the faithful thing to do. Because in all three of these situations, Christians were the main players. In all three, these Christians, whether they agreed or disagreed with what happened, they said they agreed or disagreed because it was the faithful thing to do. Lord, forgive us. We have no idea what we're doing. There is dissonance in our faith. Things that don't work well together. Which makes these things I just mentioned the perfect things to talk about during Advent because Advent is all sorts of dissonant. Advent is reminding us again and again that what we hear about in Christmas time isn't really what Advent is all about. The good news of Jesus Christ being born doesn't really have much to do with Rudolph or Santa Claus or sleighs or holly bushes or icicles, or any of these other things. The advent of Christ in the world is something fundamentally different. It's very different than what we experience in the world. I was talking with a friend of mine this week who told me a story about when he and his brother were children, they used to love to sit around their family's Christmas tree. And one of their favorite things to do was to look at all the ornaments that their parents had hung on the tree. So this friend of mine and his younger brother, when they were kids, the younger brother one day looked at the tree and he saw a little ornament that was a manger scene. Had Mary, Joseph, little baby Jesus, a cow and a pig and a sheep and a rooster and all these other animals that weren't there. (laughs) And he said he's looking at it and the little brother says, Mom, Mom, I have a question. So mom comes dutifully into the room. Mother says, what is it? He says, why isn't there a cross in the manger? It's a good question. He's a boy. He's grown up in church. He goes to church every week. He sees a cross up in the sanctuary. He sees one on the altar. He sees crosses everywhere. And he sees this manger scene with Jesus. And he's wondering, why isn't there a cross there? It's a tough question to answer. So the mother is just struggling. She doesn't know what to say. She's not really sure how to address this with her young kid. And then the little brother says, oh, never mind, Mom. I, I, I understand. They still liked him when he was a baby. Never mind, Mom. I I get it. The reason there isn't a cross in the manger is because they still liked him when he was a baby. And that is a dark, very dark, devastating, and dissonant word from the mouth of a babe. Because he gets that that baby is the same one who goes on the cross. That's not a word we want to hear about in Christmas. We want to think about little, sweet, precious baby Jesus. Sweet, cooing baby Jesus. The friendly beasts, all that stuff. We don't want to think about how that one born in the manger is the one who hangs on the cross. But that little kid got it. Here in Advent, it's time for us to think about dissonance. Like the dissonance of 
the Holy Family in cages, or flu vaccines being turned away, or people fighting for gun rights. It's a dissonant thing. And they're all dark. And in Advent, we're forced to look into the dark. Which, of course, is not what we want at Christmas. We want sleigh ride and candy canes and jingle bells and all these other things. But the gospel is offensive. It makes us uncomfortable. It strikes this poignant nerve, and once it gets stuck in our hearts and our minds, it refuses to let go of us. That's what Advent's all about. It's about getting to peek behind the curtain of God's acts in the world. It's about trying to muffle our ears to the incessant happiness in all the Christmas songs on the radio. It's about recognizing that whether there is one or not, the shadow of the cross is in the manger. I don't know if you know this, but being a Christian is weird. It's a weird thing. Only Christians are willing to wake up on Sunday morning and come hang out with people with whom they disagree about everything except Jesus. Only Christians find comfort in walking down an aisle and putting out their hands and someone dressed like me giving you a piece of flesh and dipping it in blood. Only Christians can stand and sing songs about never ceasing streams of mercy because they know that they need mercy. But we are our strangest when we affirm two things from the Bible. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Another way to put that is, all of us are sinners, and God has taken away our sins. Or, another way, all of us are bad, and God frees us anyway. That we can confess God frees us anyway is why we can call the good news good. God does for us what we could not do for ourselves. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's not perfect, and it comes with a cost. That's why during Advent, we're reminded through the readings week after week that if we think Christmas is just about a baby, that we are failing to see the story of Christmas. Because that baby is going to grow up. That baby is going to raise some hell. That baby is going to flip over the tables in the temple. That baby is going to say the first are going to be last and the last are going to be first. That baby is going to be beaten nearly to death, dragged through the streets, and hung up on a cross to die. That's the story of Christmas. There is the shadow of the cross in the manger. And the cross, I mean, it looks innocuous, it looks fine, easy to handle, but it's a sign of death. And it stands over everything we do as Christians because we have to remember what was done for us. It's a frightening beacon about what it costs to free us from our condemnation. It's a dissonant sign about the beauty of sacrifice. And it comes with judgment. Ooh, judgment. Don't we love to hear about judgment in church? Don't we love to hear about who's right and who's wrong? And judgment. The only time we like to hear about judgment is when we say to kids, judge not lest ye be judged. But friends, we're all going to be judged. That's one of the only messages of Scripture that's there in the beginning and there at the end. Every single one of us is going to be judged. In the last day of the Lord, just as the new heaven and the new earth are preparing to reign supreme, King Herod, Pontius Pilate, they're going to be judged. The crowds who shouted, crucify, they're going to be judged. President Obama will be judged. President Trump will be judged. The House Intelligence Committee will be judged. Republicans will be judged. Democrats will be judged. The pastor who put Mary and Joseph and Jesus in cages will be judged. The border agents who refuse to let flu vaccines come through will be judged. The pro-gun rights activists will be judged. America is going to be judged. And whether we like it or not, you and me, we're going to be judged as well.
because the innermost secrets of our hearts, all the things we've done, all the things we've left undone, all those knee-jerk reactions, all those words we wish we could take back, they are going to be laid bare on the altar of God. God is going to take a look at all that we've done and all that we've left undone. We are going to be judged. We have a good reason to fear judgment because we know we have done things worthy of being judged. I've tried to be explicitly controversial today. I tried to pick three things that no matter who you are would rile you up to some degree. Whether you lean left or right, you're up or you're down. I tried particularly to make people upset today. So you could start to think in your hearts and minds, "Mm, I can't believe those people did that. Or I can't believe that person did that. I can't believe they'd have the gall to do that. I can't believe he has the gall to talk about it. I did it on purpose so we could already start to feel some of our own judgments bubbling up. Because our judgments are the things that God is going to judge. However we feel, however we might react to the things that have been said in this place and this day, God is going to judge us for them. But here's the good news. Something has already happened. Started in a manger and it ended on a cross. The world has been turned upside down and no matter what we do, we can't flip it back. The judge has already come, but not as we expected. You see, the judge we fear, the one we're afraid of seeing all of our sins, that judge was born in the manger, died on the cross. That's who our judge is. The judge rules from a bench with holes in his hands and thorns on his head. And when we start to see how strange it all is, We realize that judgment has already happened to us in Jesus. The judge judge came to be judged in our place instead of us. He took away all of our deserved condemnation and he nailed it to the cross instead. That's the good news of the Christian faith. But it's a dissonant good news. It's a strange good news. We are sinners and we're freed from sin. There's been an invasion from on high. God has changed us. God is never going to let us be what we were. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed us forever and ever and ever. Because of Jesus Christ, there is no room for self-deception. There's no room for excuses, for ignorance, for judgments, because what God has done in Jesus Christ has changed everything forever. So when we read these things, dear directors, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It makes us ask ourselves the question, are we ready to change? Are we ready to throw away all the old judgments, the prejudices? Are we ready to start treating each other with love, dignity, respect, grace, mercy? Are we ready to let Christ rule our lives? Because the answer to those questions is no. We don't. We want to hold on to our old judgments. We want to hold on to our resentments. We want to be able to judge people for what they've done, what they've left undone. We want to be able to say, you're right. Or I'm right, you're wrong. We want to be able to say, I'm in the clear path, you're on the wrong path. We want to surround ourselves with people who already have the same opinions we do. We want to be able to hold on to our sins. We don't want to change. Here's the best news of all. That's okay. You know why? Because God's going to change us anyway. That's what happens when you come to church week after week. It's what happens when you stand and you sing these songs and you say these prayers and you eat this bread and drink from this cup. It starts to change you whether you like it or not. Because you start to look around the room and realize, wow, this is real. 
I can't be what I was. I can't feel about people the way I felt because God did this for me and everybody else as well. That's the best news of all. It's the most confounding part of the gospel. Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And even if we believe it, it also means that we have to hang out with people who believe there is condemnation. It means that the table is so big, it's filled with people who like that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are in cages and people who don't like it. The table is so big, it means that it's there for people who want to give flu shots and people who don't want to give flu shots. The table is so big, it means it's there for people who want to keep their guns and for people who want to take their guns away. If we say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it means the gospel is bigger than we think it is. It means that we can't be what we once were. It means that God is going to change us, whether we like it or not. We offer this evening the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Lord, we are grateful that in your strange and infinite wisdom you've gathered people together who don't like each other, who disagree with each other, who don't look the same, who don't speak the same. We are grateful, Lord, for the strange truth of the gospel, that we are sinners and we've been freed from that sin, that we are bad and yet you see us to be good. It's strange. It's like finding a cross in a manger. It's knowing the whole story all at once and knowing that because of what you've done, we can't be what we were. So we pray as people who have gathered together to be changed, whether we want to be or not. We once were no people, but now, O oh Lord, we are your people. And that has made all the difference.